Hey guys, welcome to Trinity Church Online. For more information, please visit us at ourtrinity.org or you can find us on Facebook at Trinity Church of Wheat Ridge or even on Instagram at Trinity Church CO. No matter where you are today, we are glad that you have joined us here. So, the person that I want to honor today um, is uh, Pat has mentioned, Pat, <laughs> Pastor Ed has mentioned them earlier today. Um, and that, that's, that's Tabitha. Um, as he had mentioned, she had passed away on Friday, and, uh, I mean, no one was aware of that going to happen. You know, it was, it was very abrupt. Uh, but Tabitha, um, I don't know if I've seen anyone else grow so much closer to God in this last year than I have seen her. I mean, she would, she would come up to me. She would encourage me. I know when Johnny was in the hospital, she... I mean, she stood up. She was there and doing things that she would have never done years ago. Um, she would ask me questions, and I didn't really know the answer to when it came to, like, Bible and stuff like that. And I had to tell her. I was like, you know, I'm going to look into that. I'm going to figure out. I mean, she was curious and wanted to know about God. And, man, she was growing closer and closer and growing more and more in love with her Savior. Um, and so I wanted to honor her life today. Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a lot to hold back tears right now just cuz it's it was a uh, it's a joyous thing because she is in heaven right now. She is healed. Um she is in the midst of her savior, but she will be missed. She will be missed. Today we're looking at another parable. Uh this is the second to last week of our parable series. Next week Pastor Ed will be concluding that series. And today we are going to be looking at the parable of the laborers. And that is going to be found in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Father God, thank you so much for giving us life today. God, I pray that it would not be wasted. I pray that we would choose to honor you with our actions and with our life today. Because life is short. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you will just speak through me, that they, would be, that they would be convicted and spoken to by the Holy Spirit, God. Lord, thank you for this parable. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're going to start reading in Matthew 19. We're going to start reading at verse 27. Verse 27, Matthew 19, verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a, hundred, a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now in chapter 20, starting verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard, for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went going out again, or so they went 
uh, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them for their, pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first, first came, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last, worked only, uh, these, worked, sorry, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a Daenerys? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give uh, to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, so the last will be first and the first last. So let's look at the context of this passage. Uh, Jesus has spoken this parable and there's a reason to why he did that. Uh, we started off with Peter's question and there's a reason why he asked this question. So we're going to go back in chapter 19 and we're going to start in verse 16. Chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father, father and mother. And you shall, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these have I kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So there is this man. Uh, the Bible, if you have like a header there, it says the, the rich young man. Uh, he was looking how to get to heaven. So he asked Jesus. Jesus, uh, he proclaimed to be the Messiah, and he, he was asking him, how do, how do I get to heaven? What, have I, what am I lacking? And so when he refers to him, he refers to him as a good teacher, and he said, what good work can I do? And Jesus tells him, he's like, well, first off, God is the only one that is good. So he, he puts that in, in, in comparison, like, why are you asking what good can you do? Because God's the only one that is good. But Jesus says, but if you want to try to do good works to get into heaven, if you want to be good enough to get into heaven, what you have to do is you have to keep all of the commandments. And he lists through some of them, you know, he said, you know, don't, don't murder, you have to honor your father and mother. mother. Uh, he, he, he does these things, you have to keep all of these. And what the man replies to him and says, I've done that. I've kept all of them. In verse 21 and 26, Jesus knows this man's heart, right? 
Uh, early on in this book, and we'll talk about it a little bit, he went over the sermon. Jesus had spoken on the Sermon on the Mount, right? And he talked about how, uh, you know, uh, the Bible says to not murder. The, the law said to not murder. But I tell you, if you look at a brother and you have hate in your heart, you have already committed that. So this man has the audacity, audacity to say, oh, I've, I've already kept all of those things. I'm, I'm perfect. What, what else do I lack? And in verses 21 to 26, Jesus tells him, starting verse 21, if you, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. So Jesus tells him, okay, give up everything that you possess. All the, the riches that you have earned, everything, and, and maybe he was inherited a lot of it, whatever it may be, give it all up. See, Jesus knows his heart. He knows why this man is asking about this thing. Well, this man is asking about, he, he wants eternal life, but it's not because he desires to have this better relationship with God. What he desires is to have another prize on the shelf, to have another trophy. He has all these riches. He has everything he can imagine except eternal life. He says, how can I obtain that? And Jesus knows his heart and says, everything that you think and that you hold up and that you worship, give it all away. Give it all away and come and follow me. Jewish tradition would say that, that the wealthier, wealthier you were, the more blessed and the more honored by God you were. If you had more possession and more, and more wealth and more animals and whatever it may be, that meant that God was pleased with you more than someone else that didn't have that. So that was a Jewish tradition. And so when, when, when he had heard this, he thought he was probably pleased with God. But then this man claiming the Messiah, Messiah told him to give it all away. And what was the man's response? He left sorrowful. He left because he had great possession and he knew he loved his, 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 good, uh, his good stuff better than he loved uh, God the Father. What Jesus is saying here, and, and, and some people I think take this passage, these, these verses wrong where Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle uh, than it is for a rich person to get into heaven. Some people take that to mean, oh, if you have money, you can't go to heaven. What Jesus is really saying here, and we see this in Mark uh, chapter 10 and verse 24, it's a parallel passage. Jesus is saying it is incredibly difficult to get to heaven if you're doing it on your own. In fact, it is impossible to do it. To the point where you're trying to squeeze a camel through the, the eye of a needle. And, you know, there's not really any deep theological stuff with that. No, it's just, yeah, try to squeeze this giant camel through this needle. And if you can do that, then, yeah, you can go to heaven, I guess. That's how much, that's how many good works you have to do. That's how uh, well you have to keep the law. That's why Jesus says here that with God, it is possible. Because he was told, the rich man was told to give up all of his riches. And then the Jewish people hearing that, and even the disciples hearing that, were like, wait, I thought that showed that he was closer to God than the rest of us. And how is it even possible to get into heaven then? See, it wasn't, it wasn't the riches that was sending this man to hell. If we look in the Old Testament, do you know who else was super rich? Abraham, King David, Solomon. All these people were very, very rich, right? And it, and it, wasn't, it wasn't that what got them to heaven is that they gave up all those riches. God had blessed them, and they did receive riches. So what Jesus is saying here is this man, this rich man, his God was his money. That is what he des desired. So his disciples ask him a question. They ask, well, then how is it even possible to get into heaven? If even the rich and the wealthy people aren't going to get into heaven, then how, how can we do this? And Jesus says, with God, this is possible. 
See, the disciples, they heard the Sermon on the Mount. And when this man asked, how do I get to heaven? And, and Jesus told him, you know, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder. Listing these things off, the disciples heard this man's response saying, I've kept all those. Imagine the disciples' thoughts. They're kind of like, oh, you think, right? They're like, little do you know. But when he mentioned that the, the wealth, is, it truly astonished them. See, what Jesus wants them to know is that they cannot serve both God and worldly possessions. Um, and, we, we had, and I think we had talked about a parable a few weeks ago about that. And, and, and so that's what leads us to Peter's question. Peter, he can, he's able to contrast him and this rich man. And so in verse 27 we read, Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Have you ever asked someone to help you with something before? Probably, right? Unless you've done everything on your own, which is kind of impressive, I guess. But at some point, I'm sure we've all asked someone to help us. And how do you feel when their response is, well, what do I get out of it? Is it ever a, oh, I'm glad you asked? Not really, right? A lot of times it's like, what? Like, you know, I'm just asking for your help. You don't necessarily get anything out of it. Sometimes a parent will tell, tell a child, hey, you need to do your chores. You need to take out the trash. You need to do the dishes. And the child will be like, well, why? And sometimes a parent is like, well, I'll tell you what you're going to get if you don't do it. You know? Sometimes we have those answers, uh, th those questions that come up. Now, is it wrong to ask what you will get? Is it wrong to ask that? Not necessarily. Because think about it, if you're going in for a job interview, and you're doing this whole interview and everything, and, and, and they, at the end of the interview, they, they tell you, you got the job. And so you go home to your friends and family, and you tell them, hey, I got the job. You know? And then they might be like, oh, how much are you making? And you're like, oh, I have no idea. You, you should probably ask right, how much you're going to make, because you don't want to be like, you know, you show up to the job, you're like, I'm here to work, and they're like, oh, yeah, but you're doing this for free, right? You know, and so it's okay to ask, especially with jobs. I think if, if someone didn't ask, you'd be like, are you out of your mind? You know, so you ask, how much am I going to get paid? Oh, really? Ugh, that's not enough. Or, oh, okay, yes, I will definitely do this job. So it's okay to ask those things. And, and a lot of times, uh, we, we see people, prophets, people in the Bible asking questions of God. Is it okay to ask God questions? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I think pretty much every single prophet, every, throughout the Bible, you read people asking questions of God. Now, sometimes God's response is, who are you? Right? Where were you at the beginning when I created the universe? But sometimes we see, like Jesus did here, we see an answer. We see an answer, and, and, and uh, that's also what draws me to say that it's not wrong to ask questions because Jesus does answer his question, right? And this answer, uh, he doesn't want to keep it a secret. God isn't trying to hide all these things from you, like, oh, you know, if you serve me, whoo, there's a lot of stuff, but you don't, keep, no, you don't get to know what it is yet. He's not trying to keep it secret from, uh, from us and from the disciples, but he's also not super detailed, you know, he doesn't go into the specifics. And I think what the point, his point in answering this question was he doesn't, he's not trying to bribe the disciples to follow him. Right? He wants them to stay the course, and he doesn't want to have to bribe them into it. So instead of rebuking, which I think sometimes uh, uh, Peter comes across as bad because he asked this question, 
But instead of rebuking him, Jesus answers him. In verse 28, starting in verse 28, we read, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. See, instead of rebuking, what Jesus does is he gives them a promise of amazing rewards, right? Man, you, you read that list, and it is truly an amazing thing. What he tells the disciples is that you're going to sit on thrones with me. When, 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 the, 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 when the new kingdom comes, you're going to sit on these thrones. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Revelation 20 also talks about how we'll be sitting on thrones and we'll be judging the earth. That's why the Bible also mentions, you know, if you, within your congregation, within the body of believers, we need to make decisions and, and, and have judgment on our, within our congregation and not let the world judge us. Because if we can't do it, why do we expect to judge the world at the end times again when Jesus comes back? Jesus also says that we will receive a hundred times more than what we had, than, than what we had given up. The first thing that he mentions off is, is a bunch of family members. And I think that is one of the, the things that we can receive, not only in heaven, but on earth. In heaven, we'll be surrounded by, by other Christians, right? And Lord willing, if your family is saved, you know, hopefully that they, they are there. But also, we see that on earth here. How many of you would consider the people in this room to be family? Right? And not just because they're literal family, which a lot of them probably are. But because we are a family, right? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And because of that, we have gained so much more than we have forsaken if we have given up our own family because of Christ. It mentions wealth and land. You know, everything that you've given up here or whatever, you will receive a hundred times more in heaven. Those are great rewards. We are not making sacrifices when we give those things up here. We are making investments in heaven. The other thing, as he mentions, is eternal life. See, we have been saved from hell and the lake of fire. We will spend eternity in heaven with God. And I, and I think he could even probably have just left everything else off of that list. And if he just said, you'll receive eternal life, I, I would think that's good enough for me, right? He has spared me from the punishment and death that I deserve. And not all of these things that he mentions will receive in this life here. See, we're not, when we're making these sacrifices, we're making investments in heaven. So it wasn't so much the question, the question that was brought up. What it was is Jesus knew the motive behind Peter's question. He knew that that motive and, and the desire behind it was wrong. That's why he added after, that verse, or after those verses in verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. That's somewhat of a strange statement, right? Those that are first will be last and the last will be first. Doesn't, it doesn't really add up to uh, common knowledge. So let's look at the parable now. All right, let's see what the parable and the lesson for the disciples. So this is starting in chapter 20, starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. 
Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked all, only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the, the burden of the day and the scorching heat? But he replied one, uh, to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with the, what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So this parable, what we see here is a landowner is hiring workers. So it was a very common practice in that day that laborers, if you were a laborer, what you would do is you would go to the marketplace and you would show that you are available for work. So those that, that had work or landowners, whatever it may be, they would go to the marketplace and they would go and they would hire you to do the work for the day. So this was a pretty common thing. It's sort of uncommon to us now. You don't see that a whole lot, people waiting outside to, for someone to come hire them. But that is what was happening. Now, this is a special season because in the vineyard, uh, the, the vineyard ripens and the grapes ripen by the end, near the end of September. But then also rain, the rainy season arrives shortly after that. So if you own a vineyard, you have a very small amount of time to get all of, the, all of the grapes that you have produced, to get them all out of there before the rainy season ruins everything you had worked for. So what that had to be done is this work needed to be done very quick. It needed to be done right away. So that's why we see this man hiring and hiring and hiring because it was a lot of work and it was going to be done quickly. So what he does is he finds this first group of laborers in the marketplace and what had happened is when they came to him, they, they, they came to an agreement, which means when the landowner came to him, they brought up like, okay, well, what are, what are you going to pay us? You know, let's work this out. Let's figure out what we're going to do. And like I mentioned earlier, yeah, if you go to a job, that's probably what you should ask, right? Like, what are you going to get paid? So the laborers, they, they come to an agreement with the landowner for a denarius a day, which is a common, common pay. That is usually a daily wage for a laborer. So the, the, the first group, that was about 6 a.m., they went out and they started working. Well, around 9 a.m., the landowner goes out and he finds some more people standing idle. So he goes and hires them and says, hey, come work in my vineyard and I will give you what's fair. I'll, I'll give you what, what, what I desire. Landowner goes out around 12 p.m. and 3 p.m. He finds the same thing, people idle, and he goes and tells them, come work in my vineyard. The landowner goes out at 5 p.m., which the end of the day, the end of the workday was 6 p.m. So at uh, one hour before the workday, he goes and finds laborers, or those that are idle, and asks them to come and work in his vineyard. So he does all of this, and he, he finds them all idle, and he asks them to go work, but he doesn't work out with them in agreement. He doesn't, he doesn't sit down and, and have the contract all laid out saying, okay, I'll pay you this at the end of the day. He says, trust me. So after the working, about 6 p.m. comes around, and you see that the landowner pays the workers. And what he does is he tells the foreman to line up those that were hired last, put them first, 
and then in order all the way to where the first hires were in the back. So what had happened is that the, the first, those that were hired last, sorry, uh, they, they walk up, okay, and they get their money, and the foreman gives them a denarius. A whole day's worth of, of labor, worth of money, he gives it to them. And then he goes to the next group, and he gives them a denarius as well. And then the next group, and then the next group, and then finally gets to the first group, right? The first ones, the ones that have been hired, been working 12 hours in the hot sun. Now kind of put yourself in their shoes. Imagine you were, you were the first ones there. You were working all day. It was a hot day. You were laboring. It's not easy work. And you see the first group, they get paid for an entire day for just working one hour. What's probably going through your mind is like, wow. Okay, so they worked one hour, and they got one Daenerys. So that means I worked 12 hours, so I get 12 of them, right? And so they're like, man, they're excited. They're like, okay, sweet, this is why they put us last. So then, you know, it's like a grander thing. And then the next group comes up, and they get a Daenerys as well. And they're like, okay, hold on, wait. Well, maybe, maybe we just get nine then. You know, about nine hours total. And then the next group, and it, and it goes down to six and then three. And they're like, okay, now I'm about to get paid. I better get some big, some big bucks right now, right? I better get all the money. And they're handed a Daenerys. The simple just day labor work. What would be your thought? Would you be upset seeing someone work one hour and they, they get paid the same amount as you and you've done all of the work? I imagine at the end, of that, the end of the day when there was one hour left, they were just kind of maybe just helping out, you know? Not really doing a whole lot. They're like, well, there's only an hour left. This is their response in verse 20. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a Daenerys. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us? who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat? Man, yeah, I, would, I think I would feel that way, to be honest. If I saw that, I would probably feel that way. Like, I've been here all day, and you're paying them the same exact amount. What we see is that they really had no argument. They couldn't have a valid argument because, in, starting in verse 13, we read, but he replied, the landowner, to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a Daenerys? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? See, the landowner, he paid them exactly what they agreed to work for. See, they wanted the contract. They wanted to make sure that they got their money. What was happened, though, is that it was the landowner's money and his decision ultimately so was he ripping those people off, the first workers? No. They agreed upon it. And even, even if they didn't agree upon it, he still gave them a day's worth of labor. He was fair to them in that way. It was the landowner's money, and it was his decision ultimately. Who were they to tell him what to pay everybody else? Because that was their biggest concern. Their biggest, it was like, why did you make them equals with us? We've been here all day. Why did you pay them that? My question is to you, is it, a, is it a crime to be generous? That was the landowner's question to them. You're, you're questioning my generosity? Is that wrong? Do we often question God's generosity? So how does this apply to us? What is the application that we can take from this? 
let's first look at what this parable is not about. First, this parable is not about salvation. First is we don't work for our salvation, right? We don't, we don't go out and we don't tarry and, and, and offer to God, these are all the good works that I had for our salvation. That's not how it works. We also don't receive more salvation than someone else does, right? Salvation doesn't come in layers. It's not like, oh, well, this person is really saved while this person is, you know, saved. See, Christ's blood covers all. Christ's blood is sufficient. Christ's blood is not something that we can earn. It is by God's grace. And what he does is he gives it to us. He gives it to us freely. And so this parable is not about salvation. Secondly, we see this parable is not about heavenly rewards either. The reason why I say that is because we won't all receive the same reward when we get into heaven. We won't all receive the same reward. In 1 Corinthians 3, 8, we read, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. We'll receive our wages, our heavenly rewards, according to our labor. So what is this parable about? This parable is in response to the motive behind Peter's question. This parable is an answer to Jesus' statement in verse 30 where he says the first will be last and last will be first. That's what this parable is about. See, when, when Jesus said that question, he knew what Peter's heart was. And so when we read here, we see that the, the, the lesson in this parable is that we do not serve God because of an expected reward. When, when Peter asked this question, he, he, he saw the man and he's like, well, I've given up everything. And, I, and, I've, and I've tried my best to do those things. What am I going to get, though? He had, the, he had the idea that there was going to be an expected reward. And the first thing we need to see is that we cannot serve God because of an expected reward. The reason why is that God does not make decisions the same way we do, right? How many of you have ever had plans before? And you say, God, your will be done, and then it wasn't the same way that you planned. Man, that happens to me quite often, right? Where it, it, you know, and it's not always the, the thing that is supposed to happen in my eyes. God makes decisions differently. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are greater than our ways. So if we have an expected reward, it's probably not, it's, it's not going to match up with what God has for us. And so we're going to be working for something that, that, that doesn't even uh, apply to what God has. How many of you uh, were wearing, they're not as popular anymore, the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do, right? And I think those are good things because they're a good reminder. You have them, you see them, and, and it reminds you to not punch your neighbor in the face, right? You see those things, you ask, what would Jesus do? And I was thinking about it, thinking about how God's ways and, and, and his thoughts are above our own. And I was thinking about it, I was like, what would Jesus do? I'm like... There's no way we would know that. You know, sometimes Jesus would, would show a great compassion and love towards an individual, but sometimes he's also going to flip a table and whip people. Right? Our ways aren't God's ways. Our ideas aren't God's ideas. And so what we have to do is we need to trust him and trust what he has for us and not have our own expectations. How many of you want to be treated fair in this life? I would think so, right? That's a, that's, that's a fair thing to say, is to be treated fairly. I think all of us want that. All of us want to be treated fairly. 
But I think oftentimes what we do in this world is we treat fairness above generosity. We look at fairness as a greater thing than generosity. I'm here to tell you, though, that with God is the opposite. God puts generosity over fairness. God puts generosity over fairness. See, he has generosity and he has grace towards us, not fairness towards us. And I'm, and I'm glad about that. Because God, in all fairness, should have sent us to hell. Should have allowed us to die in our sins. That's what is fair. The wages of sin is death. If we wanted a fair reward, a fair payment for what we've done in this life, it is death. That should be, that is all fairness. We are not deserving of what God gives us in his grace. We are not deserving of heaven. We are not deserving of even these rewards that he mentioned. It is by God's generosity, by his grace, that we can receive these things. Who of us will say that I don't want grace because it's not fair? Man, I hope not, right? I hope we wouldn't say, no, I deserve to go to hell. Nope, I don't want your grace, God. When we don't accept salvation, that's what we're saying, but we may not actually come out and say that specifically. But how quick are we to turn around and think that someone else is not deserving of the same grace? That they're not deserving of the same generosity from God? Peter saw the contrast between him and the rich man. Not only was it a wealth contrast, but Peter knew that he had given up a lot. He had given up the life that he had. Did he maybe think that he deserved more since he had given up more? Probably. That's very possible. See, those that were hired first, they had their argument. They had what they were bringing up against the landowner. We worked all day in the heat. We sacrificed more for you. Where's mine? They said, God, I I show up to church on Sundays. Man, I go and witness. I go send out devotions. I I, I come in and I do all this work in the church. And I I reach out to my brothers and says, where is mine? But the landowner gave generously to those that came later and was still fair to those that worked the longest. Can God do that? Is God able to do that? Can God give what he wants? Can God be generous to whomever he chooses? Yeah. Because he's God, right? The things that he gives us, his grace is his own. God is in debt to no man. There's nothing we can do that puts God in a bind, that that, that puts him in a position where he owes us now. We are not in, God is not in debt to us. Everything he gives us is out of the goodness of his heart, the goodness of his grace. What we receive is graces upon graces. And it's an amazing thing, and we are not deserving of any of it. None of these things are ever earned. That's what this parable's lesson is, is that we don't serve God with the idea that we are going to get something in return. That God, he owes us at the end of the day. The point of this passage, this parable, is that, that, that work needs to be done in a spirit that is glorifying to God and that is, that is worshipful to God and an understanding that we owe God. The whole point of our work is the spirit in which the work is done. And that's what the, the, the parable is. That's what Jesus was trying to teach Peter. So what does that look like for us? 
how do we apply that? How can we say, okay, well, how do I, how do I serve God and separate the, the, the rewards and separate those things? How can I do those things? The first thing is we must not suppose that we will get something more than, what we de- than uh, when we do not deserve it. See, God owes us nothing. Why do we deserve more than that? Why do we deserve more than nothing? We can be hardworking Christians. We can, do, we can show up here every single day. We can do whatever it needs to be and still not have a heart or a desire for God. In Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 6, we read, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. See, if we're only serving God for the benefits, then we're truly we're serving him in a way that he does not want. What we're doing is we're doing it for, for eye service. We're doing it so then the world will see. That's what the world's standards are. And what happens when we're doing it for that, when we have that in mind, like, oh, I want, oh, you know, I want the attention. I want God to look at me and be like, wow, you're doing good, you know, all these things, just the attention, and people to look around and be like, he's a really good Christian. What's going to happen is that we'll actually miss out on the best blessings God has for us. We'll miss out on those things. See, what the contract worker did, as opposed to the non-contract worker, because that's the two people that are in this parable, the contract worker did is he said, okay, uh, I'm going to set up and you, you need to pay me this reward. And then at the end of the day, if we, you know, we pay, it all works out. I'll work hard for you. It'll be great. What do you think would have happened if the, the, the first group, the first people that worked there longer at the end of the day, if they didn't, if they trusted the landlord? Do you think it's possible that the landlord, landlord may have given them more? Probably, I don't know. It doesn't say in the passage. But this, what we do know is that this landlord was generous. This landlord, he appreciated hard work. See, sometimes when we have those rewards in our mind, we have these expectations, we're doing it for ourselves. We're not going to receive the best blessings because God can't honor that because it's not from a heart that's aimed towards him. We must serve him unreservedly and trust him that he will give us what is best. Second thing is we must not be prideful in our work. Now let me explain this because I am very proud of my church. I'm very proud of you guys. I'm very proud of the people that are here. I'm very proud of the work that I do. I, I like doing it. You know, I'm not ashamed of it. When people ask me what I do, I tell them. You know, I, I, I have pride in it. But the difference here is when there is overconfidence in the work that I'm doing, when there's overconfidence in the amount that I have, I might believe that I deserve more than others because of the work that I'm doing. See, I have the pride because I'm like, whoo, all right. Do you see all the work that I did today? Man, I have a big blessing coming my way, right? Whew, oh, I can't wait till I get home and there's just all these blessings laid out for me on the table. If we come in with overconfidence and with pride, with an expected thing, God won't reward us in that way. That is not what we get. When, when God rewards us, it is not always what we or the world would expect it to be. That's why it says the, those that are first in their own eyes will end up last. Those that have the pride and they're filled up when they're actually rewarded in heaven, they'll be like the least of those. And those that maybe have the feelings of of not a great work, 
You know, they, they're, they're, they're doing what they can. You know, they, they have God in their mind, but it's not something magnificent. It's not, you know, it's not on television. Those will end up first because it has to do with the heart. I think it was a, a, um, a commentary by uh, Vernon McGee, and he mentioned he, he looks forward to getting into heaven and, and him and his elders up there sort of receiving the blessing. And then he looks over and, and uh, receiving their rewards, and he looks over and he sees uh, a widowed old lady that he knew in the, in the church, and he sees the rewards that she's getting. And the elders might speak up and they might say, who was that? Like, she looks familiar, but who was she? Like, man, look at the rewards that she's getting. You know, and, 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 and uh, McGee, he says, he, he smiles, you know, because he's like, we think we have these positions and this work that we do. And we think our work is great because we have a larger audience. But the rewards that this lady receiving is greater. Do you know why? Because she was, she was loyal to God. She only had one son, and she raised him up in the, in the ways of God. And everything that she did is what God told her to do, and she did it with all of her heart. And even if it wasn't a giant thing, she obeyed God. That is where God bases his rewards, on the obedience of our heart. The third thing is that we must not compare and measure ourselves to others' works. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, it says, Don't judge before the time. So don't look, at, don't look at the world, don't look at someone else's work. And whether it's greater or smaller than yours, we can't compare it. The reason why is we see the physical, right? We see what our eyes let us see. We see, oh man, this person, uh, they must have a huge ministry. They must be receiving a lot of rewards from God because they have a giant ministry. Man, their church is on TV, or they're, they're, you know, they're super wealthy, whatever it may be. They're doing a really good work. Or we can't, you know, we can't look at ourselves and look at the work that we have and say, man, does God just not have high expectations for me? You know, does he, does he not have a great reward for me just because of the, the size of the work that I have? See, we can't compare because we don't know the heart. We don't know what's behind the scenes. We don't know why these individuals are doing these things. When we make these judgments... We can only do and see what we do. We can only see what our eyes will let us see. We don't know their heart. It could be someone is, is, has just a mega church, right? Super wealthy, all these people, you know, but within their heart is just grime. And they're, they're just greedy. And that's all they want is just that, that earthly reward. God wants us to have a desire for Him. A desire to do his work out of obedience because he has called us to do it. The last thing is we must not criticize God on the reward. See, it is by his grace that he gives us these rewards. We're not deserved of it. God is not a respecter of persons just because you're another individual. You look a certain way, you act a certain you do a certain. God is not a respecter of persons. Acts 10 verse 34 reads, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. See, God can be just as generous to the criminal that's dying on the cross next to Jesus as he was to one of his disciples. God is not a respecter of persons. What he respects and what he wants is those to fear him and to do what is right and acceptable. That's what God wants. 
That's what God honors. That's what God rewards. See, who are we to tell God what he can or can't do? We're nobodies, really, you know. When it comes to God, we, we, have, we have no say in it. Warren Wearsby says, whenever we find a complaining servant, we know he is not fully yielded to the master's will. Man, and that's convicting to me. How many times have my, maybe I have said in my heart, man, why do I, why do I have to do this? You know, or, oh, man, why do I have to serve in this way? Or, or, or maybe even the opposite, you know, like, whew, all right, I get this opportunity, you know. See, God, he, he honors those that are seeking him and that are following his will. Oftentimes when we feel like we deserve better, it is often our own fault when we don't receive what is better. The first, what the workers did, they didn't trust the landlord, right? What they said was they were like, hey, uh, let's make an agreement. You know, maybe the landlord at the beginning was like, hey, you know, come work in my vineyard. Just trust me. I'll, I'll give you, you know, what's good and fair. And they were like, no, 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 no. I've seen this before. You know, I've seen it. I'm not going to work hard for nothing. And so they come up with an agreement. They made this. But also at the end, when, when, when those that were working with them, when they received the denarius, they didn't rejoice with them. Right? They weren't happy for, for those, those co-workers that received just as much as them. What has happened was they were consumed by, by jealousy. Right? They were just complaining. They, they looked at them and, and, and said, why? Why did you make them equals with us? But in reality, they received the same amount, right? the same total. And they could have rejoiced with them and be like, wow, this landlord is great. All kindness from God should lead us to the point where we're turning towards him. No matter what it is, no matter what the reward is, we turn towards God. The Bible says that his kindness leads us to repentance. See, because God always gives us the good thing. Right? And, and, it's, it, and I can praise God that it's not always what I deserve. Right? Because we, we've already went over what we deserve. God gives us what is good. And no matter what that is, we can turn to God and worship him for it. So our service to the Lord, our following of him must be focused on the desire to, obedient, to be obedient to God. It needs to be done out of love, done out of a heart that understands God has given us so much to be grateful for already. Let's pray. Church, how is your heart today? How is your heart towards the service of God? Have you been working and serving God with the mindset of, I'm in this for the great blessings? For a great reward? Have you been so overconfident in your, in your work that you expect God to just bless it and to provide so many good things for you? Because your work is just so good? Have you been comparing yourselves to others, whether negatively or positively? Have we elevated our own work above what, we, but what, above what it really is? Or have you criticized God for not giving you what you expected? Father, help us to serve you with a willing heart.
with a trusting heart. With a desire to do what you have called us to do because you have saved us. You have already been gracious to us and generous to us. God, thank you for saving us. Lord, I pray as we go through this week and as we uh, minister to other people, as we are a witness for you in this world, that as we maybe serve in our church or wherever it may be, that we don't have a desire and a focus purely on the reward. That our desire will just be that we are honored to do your will, that we are honored to be used by you. Father, thank you for this parable. I pray that we will apply it to our lives. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.